you can fool yourself into believing that you need to be prepared and that yes. you have to have all your ducks in a line. But the reality is there's a lot to be said for just getting started. Not having a way back mm. is sometimes the, the way that gets you going forward. And I think that allows you sometimes to not entertain failure. Planning is great in business and life and all those sorts of things, but there is a natural dynamic to everything that goes on, which is an element of unknown and surprise. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. Welcome back, beautiful people. I hope you enjoyed last week's early first episode and that Lisa, Samantha and I weren't too delirious for you to take something from it. Since then, the relief run has raised over half a million dollars for the Red Cross Disaster Relief and Recovery Fund with over 8,000 people participating all over the world. Hopefully see some of you at our group runs this weekend. I'll chat more about that at the end of the show. For now, this episode is this year's original first one back with the wonderful Jeremy Mose, the pronunciation of which you'll understand better after you listen. Unlike many of our guests, I hadn't actually met Jeremy before our chat, but as you'll hear, we got along like old friends. Neither he nor his brother Keston started out in beauty or wellness, but in true CZA fashion, their way TA took many unexpected twists and turns, leading them to co-found one of my favourite beauty brands, Grown Alchemist. Despite beginning way before wellness was really part of our daily vernacular and natural beauty had become the booming trend it is today, they pioneered a holistic scientific approach to skin and beauty, creating what they call their biocompatible beauty revolution. With formulas based on a unique synergy between biology and cosmetic chemistry, they have made a name for themselves globally, leading the way in anti-aging technology with labs in London, Paris, Switzerland, Spain and Australia. I found Jeremy to be a wonderful storyteller, and I hope you enjoy hearing more through our chat. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you so much for joining. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so before we kick off, we have just been trying to distill your surname in a way that makes sense. <laughs> so start from, so it's spelt M-U-J-I-S, which I boganly interpreted as Mujis <laughs> and have been corrected. <laughs> what was the surname? It's, it's a Dutch surname. So it's actually um, said mouse, which mouse. is sort of uh, a little bit like mouse. And <laughs> uh, and then it's been kind of twisted in 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 Australiana to most. But I have friends who call me um, Luigi's, and particularly when I wear my um, Italian sunglasses, <laughs> um, like some sort of mafia want to be. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it said most, but it doesn't look anything like it. So I, I really like Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> I actually think that I I started my Instagram account, which I really don't use uh, at all, but um, a long time ago. And uh, and that's Muigi's with a double E. <laughs> so oh, <Muigi. laughs> off the back of his statement. 
Oh, it's fabulous. Mm. What a story. Mm. I mean, that's a whole episode in itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we get into the first segment, I start every episode with asking people what the most down-to-earth thing is about them because I think what happens when you have success in a business or your ideas become published in the media, it can seem very glossy on the outside, but there's always so much nitty-gritty behind the scenes. So what is something that's very relatable or normal about you? My goodness. Um it's just about everything. Uh, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> my last life is very unglamorous. I, th- I think I've got young children, and so I have a um, five-year-old and a seven-year-old. One thing about kids is they keep you enormously earthed. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I'll come back from a trip, and you know, you you do have moments where things are sort of like, oh wow, that's a great success, and I never imagined myself being able to do that or have that experience or meet that person. But when you come back, my wife very consciously reminds me through the children <laughs> you're here and your dad and and they uh, and they bring you down to earth and I remember once I was on a conference call actually it was a very important conference call with a US company and we were setting up a whole system in the US and um, and I was trying to sort of convince them that we would be a great partner for what they were doing <laughs> serious business serious thing and I was in the front room and it was on a Saturday morning my wife had um, run out to do F45 and left me and she sort of gave strict instructions to the children my youngest of which was Emily was two and a half at that point and William was three and a half four and I'm in the middle of the call and we were just potty training William. Oh. And so he he was like, I'm fully capable now of using a toilet. He's very independent. He was on the toilet. And I sort of heard him cluttering around. And I thought, and I knew what was about to come. But oh, I was no. like, I'm on this call. <laughs> and he had this thing where he would go to the toilet and then he would sort of say, okay, I've done my thing now. Um, someone please come and wipe my butt. I feel like a lot, of, a lot of kids go through that, but it's like inopportune moment. It's an opportune moment. So he yells out, Papa, I've done a poo-poo, and I think I'll just ignore him and he'll sort himself out. See what happens. So finally, after just yelling insistently from the toilet, and I'm thinking no one can hear me on the conference call, you know, I've got the AirPods in and I'm trying to sort of, you know. Finally, he just comes out with a roll of toilet paper in his hand with his pants around his ankles and just says, Papa, I've been yelling out from the toilet. I'm trying to hush him up. I've done a poo-poo, Papa. Would you please come and wipe it? You know? and, uh, and, and at that point, obviously, everybody on the conference call heard me and I said, look, could you give me just five minutes? Just I've got something that's come up here that I just need to quickly deal with. And of course, everybody sort of politely went yes take your time and they all of course knew what was going on and then I had to enter back into the call and do serious do talking. serious talking um after they've all known I've just been wiping someone else's bum so it was kind <laughs> of like one of those moments where you're like well you know <laughs> yeah. and trust me they appear all the time they're constant when you have young kids so oh my gosh that is Maybe the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> the funny thing was no one commented on the fact that I'd just done what I did. They all knew, but no one said anything. I love that they were like, we're just going to allow you to believe we didn't hear anything yeah, that happened. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, that's very, very down to earth. And I, I love that so much because that is, I think, what people forget. Because most of the time, the people you meet, you are presenting in your work persona. You know, you're very yeah. composed and together and the kids are at home and they don't see that. But everyone is just you know, a parent when they come home or yep. a partner or whatever. And it's it's lovely, I think, to break that down sometimes and show you everyone's just a person. Exactly. 
and I think I think that being a parent is a wonderful thing, and and so the daily things I try and do definitely when I'm back in in the country is, and I travel a, a fair amount. My wife counts the days. She reminds me. Um, There's of a tally. She, it will come back tallies. at you anytime. It's like it's like a it's like a, a, an emotional bank account that she keeps <laughs> of days that she sort of hangs over me when she when she when she wants something in particular. Um, but she, um, I think it was 52 percent last year, according to her. But this year is going to be slightly <gasps> wow. less. I promise to that. When I do come back, bath time is at six o'clock. I have to be home for bath time, and and I can do some calls in the evening because you're working with such different time zones mm. but having that um, it's actually really lovely it's I really like lovely. that so much and I definitely want to talk about that a lot because I think some people do find you know they feel a lot of guilt when they when they're in their work selves and they're away from their families but then when they're with their family you know it's very hard to get to get that balance but I love to know that you do have boundaries and and rules that kind of make sure that you do front up when you need to but first, the first segment is called Way TA, which is the whole journey from the very beginning of how you got to the position you're in today. And that's mainly because I think we miss everything looks like an, an overnight success, but it's 10 yeah. years in the making or 20 years in the making. And, and we never go back and ask people what they were like as children or how the whole thing unraveled from your first inklings of having interests and talents and skills. And I think that's the really important bit. There's always so many steps before you end up where you are. So take us back to young Jeremy, like childhood level. What were you and Keston like as kids? Oh, my gosh. Did you know what you wanted to be? Did you ever think that you would go into business together? Like mm. you've ended up as a dream team of brothers, but did you get along when you were younger? You know, what did you think that you'd be? It's a, it is a very unusual relationship, and I find it actually it's more unusual the more we grow older because the you sort of start to realise that what you take for granted is actually not that common. We've always had, we're very, very different people, which I think makes it work. Mm. I, for some reason, always had, our family's sort of a business oriented or entrepreneurial family. Dad's always been very entrepreneurial. And, um, and mum's quite creative, um, less of a risk taker. And so as we've grown up, we've always sort of grown up with this possibility of doing things. Mm. Dad travelled a fair amount in the 70s and 80s um, when travel was not at all glamorous um, <laughs> and, and he was always um, back of the bus and whenever I sort of don't get upgraded or something and I sort of feel like oh this is terrible I always think back to dad travelling <laughs> at the back of the bus in, in a day where the seats were smaller and everything was worse thinking well I haven't got it so bad but uh, he did something which was really a lovely thing at the age of 10 he took each of us on a business trip with him and in those days his business business trips because travel was so expensive they went for somewhere between six and 12 weeks at a time oh my gosh so you were got you got one-on-one -on -one time with dad for at least six weeks and he took you around the world and so and that was separate to each other so se not, separate not to together. each other all individual wow. and he would sit um he would sit us in meetings. He, you just had to follow along, right? So he would arrive in New York. You'd sort of, firstly, you're overwhelmed by New York. You were like, this place is insane, you know? And you're 10, so everything's insane out of your and, home. And he's, you know, he, he'd make time to take you to the Statue of Liberty and up to Empire State and all those sorts of things. But but the actually the interesting times became the times that he invited us into meetings and we got to see him in operation, Right. But he would brief us before the meeting, and then after the meeting, he would say, "Okay, so what do we think?" And he would ask for our opinion, right? Well, you do like and a wrap. We like do a like a little debrief, yeah. <laughs> and and we kind of got used to that. And you, you started 
you know, without us really even knowing, we started to sort of get an interest in things that he was doing and entrepreneurial things. So it became very natural, those conversations. And I found it fascinating, this whole thing of business. Naturally gravitated to it. I'm probably um, personality-wise a little bit more like dad. And then Kirsten also had a very interesting journey and when he went overseas with dad too and took on the business side, but he was very interested in the creative. Mum was at the time selling text sort of like textiles and fabrics to fashion designers in New Zealand. Um, in those days, we actually made garments in our countries, uh, in Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> Wait, <but> what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so she was always dealing with fabrics and swatches and things like that. And I think Keston found all of that very fascinating. And he went off, and his first degree he ever did was actually an arts degree as a wow. fine arts student, which I must admit at times both Dad and I looked at and thought, this is insane. I can't believe, Dad, you're paying money for this course, you know, for this university degree. Uh, he spends all this time, you know, in clay. And I remember one moment where he was running over, uh, he'd inked up a, a canvas and put a piece of wood on top of it. And then run, he was running back and forth over it with a car, <laughs> trying to get the pressure right oh on, the, on the on the print we were saying what on earth is he doing and how is this a degree (laughs) of any nature and and uh, of course dad was just looking at the financial commitment thinking okay um i I, i'm sure it's going to pay dividends somehow but i don't know how i think he honestly thought kissing was going to be a starving artist well Um, you can run (laughs) over canvases in a car for free yeah exactly (laughs) 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 particularly when dad's picking up the gas so yeah (laughs) So, um, yeah, so he, very different beginnings, but we, we started, um, Dad built, a, I think, our first ever thing together. We were always close, and we used to play tennis together when we were kids. Mum and Dad used to drop us off at a teacher's training college tennis courts where there were like 40 courts. Oh, my gosh. And they would drop us off at about 8.30 in the morning on their way to work during school holidays and pick us up at 5.30. And you just keep yourself with we'd, we'd play We'd play tennis the whole day, wow. just the two of us. My sister, who's fantastic was interested in arts and drama and so she would go off to these ballet and drama classes and theatrical plays that she was doing and things like that so we sort of went our separate ways and so we spent an enormous amount of time just the two of us doing things and then we went to school together we played in the same rugby team played in the same tennis team oh my god what's the age gap so it was it's about 20 months so it's not that far apart quite close yeah he was always number one and I was number four in the team, but, <laughs> but, that, but I was okay with that. It's character building. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it was just a, it was a very close dynamic. And then we did a couple of projects together as sort of maybe 10, 11 year olds where dad built, he built a flat for us on the side of the house, uh, which so had its own cool. entrance and we were always so grown up. And, so uh, independent. Very independent. And had, you know, to have your own entrance was like a big responsibility. And we, I remember thinking, wow, this is, you know. And we created some furniture together for it. And that was kind of our first real, we're spending some money doing something together. And they were just square, a series of square, like, uh, <laughs> chairs that didn't have any back to them that were basically like big kind of lounge chairs that you would have outside, but they were inside. And we sprung them and got cushions made and chose wow. fabric and all that sort of thing with mum. And we jumped on our BMXs, which we used to ride at all across town, and we'd go to spring companies and have conversations. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking when we turned up, but they <laughs> To seemed, negotiate they were, on your BMXs. <laughs> 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 to talk about springs with them. Um, 
So it was quite fun and we enjoyed that process. And then from there, it was never spoken, but we always imagined we might do something together. Mm. We went completely separate ways. I did my business degrees. Uh, he kind of did his arts degree and then got into product development and started a little agency. And I went and came to Australia and then went from Australia to London and just kind of did separate things. Yeah. Ended up consulting in similar industries. Is this when, is this product and this is product development, yeah. yeah. And I was sort of on the business side, strategy side, and then would get product developers involved. Um, had a lot of experience doing that with other people and had a mixed, really a mixed bag of experiences um, with the product development side. On one project, we'd sort of spent, I'd spent the budget, didn't get a result, and then said, Kirsten, would you mind from New Zealand, do you think you could help me out and do something? But the trouble is I haven't got much of a budget. What wasn't much of a budget to me because I was in pounds was quite a big budget to him in New yeah. Zealand because he was in New Zealand dollars and it was like three to one at the time. Oh, my God. And so he was like, yeah, we can make that work. So, so he said, we'll do it on one condition that you come skiing with me in Queens, Queenstown. And I said, okay, that's a, that's a good deal. I'll do that. Um, and so we booked in a skiing trip, came down, did the project. It was really great success, went skiing. And on the skiing break... He asked me a question, what do you really want to do with your, you know, long term? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to continue what I'm doing now and build it up and then maybe move it into, you know. And he goes, but like, I mean, like really long term, do you always want to be sort of working as a consultant or for, an, for another company or do you want to start something? And he had already sort of started something in a small way. And he said, and I said, well, I always imagine sort of starting something and kind of imagine doing it together. And he said, so why don't we start now? Oh, and wow. I said, well, because I need income and, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I'm think, earning pounds right now, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's hard. <laughs> exactly. And things are sort of doing all right. And, and I think it's a great idea, but why don't we save, why don't we work hard for the next few years and save some money and then start something and have a little bit of funding behind us? Mm. To which he said, you'll never have enough funding. Why wait? We've got no, neither of us had girlfriends at the time. We didn't have, we don't, didn't have any children. So it was like, you're not tied what, down. What is, what is the worst case that could happen? And that's kind of become a little bit of a mantra for us. So what, what would be the worst case, right? And sometimes the worst case isn't that bad. Like, okay, we go out on a limb, we run out of money, we have to take a waiting job or do mm. something that maybe isn't necessarily in our field, but we can make it pay, right? Mm. We'll figure out something. And so I called up mum and dad who actually were living in London by then and said, pack my flat up, I'm not coming back. Wow. And so we, by the end of that, it was about a two-week skiing thing. By the end of that, we had decided to do something together. And so I went back to Auckland where he lived, overstayed in his flat with his <laughs> flatmate for about a month until his flatmate went, um, is your brother ever going to leave? <laughs> <laughs> You're the awkward tag along. <laughs> yeah. um, don't you think you should be paying rent by now? And then we eventually got our own place and we started a company called Hatch, which was a brand and product consultancy company. And really it just evolved from there. We did not know what we were getting ourselves into at all. Or I certainly didn't. Yeah. We had this one moment and it was just like, or actually almost made me depressed. I was like, oh my goodness, I made the worst decision of my life. <laughs> I said I said to Kirsten, okay, we've got the company, we're ready to trade. How do you get clients? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're open. <laughs> we're um, open. No one's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, and, we're, and, and we, we had this bizarre situation. We were sitting, a friend of ours owned a house. His mum owned a house. She was 91 living in Sydney and she was born in this house. Oh my gosh. And it was one of the first houses on the beach in Takapuna, which Takapuna Beach is a bit like Bondi 
equivalent in Australia. Thanks um, for the <laughs> translation. <laughs> um, and so we're sitting on the beach, and they they agreed to rent the house to us for literally 1950s prices. It was about 500 bucks a week, and everything around us was like five, six million dollar homes. Oh and gosh. we had this little untouched 19, actually it was 1910, I think it was built. Oh my house. God. So it was little weatherboard place, two bedrooms, and a lounge. And the lounge didn't even have French doors off it. It was just old school. And we set up our office in the front lounge overlooking the sea. It was right on the on the sea. And so we'd go for a swim in the morning, come walk back up the bank to the house, sit facing the sea, eating our wheat bix or whatever it was, <laughs> facing the, um, the sea. And I was sort of sitting there during that one of those moments. And I said, so where do we get the clients from? And he goes, you know, um, they always just come. And I said, yeah, but what if this is the one time that they don't come? <laughs> right? And he goes, oh, no, they'll come. And I said, y- you can't run a business on they'll come. Like there was no Instagram or any social kind of. So it was just sort of <laughs> word pages. of mouth. Right? Yeah, it was like, do you, well, how do, would you take out a, a Yellow Pages ad? Or, yeah. or how do you bring clients in? And we tracked along for about four weeks, which seemed like an eternity. <laughs> and, and I was like, this is just a disaster. We are not going to get any work. There's no phone ringing. <laughs> we're not busy. We're not busy. <laughs> this is awkward. I know we're living off the smell of an oily rag, but, you know, we need clients. And then a client called and said, it was one of Keston's clients, and said, I want something fully integrated, which needed both of our skills. So we began that project, did it, it was a great success, we survived, and then uh, and then another client called out of America through a relationship, someone that I'd done some work with in the past that moved to a new company that then called me and said, hey, I need a project done in America. And we did that project, and that was a bit bigger, it was about three months, which paid us enough money to live for about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, because we were living, um, I mean, seriously, our rent was 2000 a month. We were paying each other 2000 a month total. Oh. Uh, so all our cars, we just had these cars that were paid off and, they, you know, so it, was, it was very little outgoing. Mm. So we could live on the smell of an oily rag. So if, you know, $100,000 was a could go a long way in those days. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and we really had no expenses because it was just our time and creativity. And then we started adding team members and then it started sort of ramping up. But then so did the work. So it kind of went. And then we moved to America to live in Miami because that's where all our clients started coming from. Wow. Mm. So we shifted there. Oh, my gosh. That just... I can't like digest everything that you just <laughs> said. There's so many things to distill from that, which are, which just hits on exactly the themes that this entire podcast is about, particularly in the area of new beginnings, which I think is the hardest part of most journeys. It's once you've got the momentum and once you've got the clients, like other challenges come up that make it very stressful and very scary. But the scariest bit, I truly believe, is just taking that first step. Yeah. And so many things that you just said. Firstly, so much of your childhood was leading up to this point but you had not necessarily any idea what that would look like and that's okay I think people get very stressed when they're like what do I want to do and it's everything you've spoken to up until this point isn't even what you ended up doing and still every step makes sense and I always say you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step exactly right and the best journeys and biggest success stories often happen when you do start without knowing what you're going into because you yep. probably wouldn't have started. A hundred percent. You knew what you were <laughs> we would going into. We would never have started. A hundred percent. And I think I totally agree with what you're saying. We started, and even then, before we started 
Grown Alchemist, and we had no idea what we were starting with Grown Alchemist, and mm. it just happened through a whole bunch of events. But it, it, I th- and I think if we had known, we wouldn't have. You wouldn't, absolutely. Um, but I do think the thing that I we took away, and the reason we started Grown Alchemist, um, and the way we did, was that you can fool yourself into believing that you need to be prepared, and that yes. you have to have all your ducks in a line, and that you need to be responsible. And there's a certain amount of responsibility you do need to have particularly if you've got dependents and things like that. But the reality is there's a lot to be said for just getting started. Absolutely. And Which is, figuring it out, you know, as you need to figure it out. And, and you course correct as you go. And yeah. I, I think that almost every single large-scale business owner that we've had on here started in that exact way because the stories that start in the reverse don't take off, I think, because no. people are too scared to begin or because yeah. they do begin and they overscale too quickly or they've overinvested and... It was so interesting that it was your brother who said, who like hit the nail on the head with the whole done is better than perfect, start before you're ready. You do have to go through, I just finished writing the CZA book and one of the big chapters, which makes me smile so much that you just said those exact words, is what's the worst case scenario? Right. And I almost, even though it's kind of a negative way of framing things, that's almost the way that I start things is by actually letting myself talk things all the way through to the very worst case scenario and realizing most of the time, unless you're doing a $100 million app, most of the time, it's not that bad. Everything can be figured out. And once you've confronted that fear and you realize it's not that bad it kind of almost reminds you that why yeah. not just do it yeah. and then see what happens worth and the risk and then if it doesn't turn out to be as worse as the worst case scenario well everything's a win it's a bonus it, right? i know it's so fun that is exactly what i try and remind people all the time it's it's so much a mind game and you can either frame things in a way that scare you off or you can frame them in a way that makes it downplays the risk and downplays the the scale so that you can start and yeah. i feel like it's so cool that the business you have now started off that mentality yeah. it, it didn't start off like you you do have to dream big yeah. but i feel like you have to plan small yeah otherwise it's, it's too scary yeah. <laughs> or it's too the yeah. enormity of it all kind of scares you off yeah 100% the other thing that i often say is that you know every step along the way is a step closer to the thing you're ultimately meant to do and you just have to be able to see each stage even if you hate that stage even if you don't want to do it forever just see it as a stepping stone learn everything you can because you never know when the next thing is going to hit you and obviously <laughs> from where you guys started to a biocompatible beauty company is not necessarily the next logical step that I would have expected. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us how that next big step happened. And again, how you went through that process of, oh my God, we've just got to get started. Where do you start? How do you get your head in the game? And then what other individual steps that you distill things down to to actually begin? And I read that it was a Miami holistic health foodie who kind of sparked a big change for you guys that then led to it? Yeah, it, it, it came out of, um, again, it was unexpected and it certainly wasn't on our radar. You know, Miami in the late 90s was a booming and still is a booming, but was really booming at that time. They were cleaning up the city. Um, they were making it kind of from its its drug-laden past to uh, a place that actually is a beautiful city. The downtown area is completely re- you know, regenerated and, and, and been rebuilt. South Beach was always a party town, but it's a party town with style now. We were living in Key Biscayne, and I have to say, weren't living particularly well live, so wellness wasn't massively on our horizon. <laughs> in fact, in fact, when we started, wellness was really not even a term. 
um, that had featured in anyone's vocabulary at the time. And so we didn't bring the idea to the table. Someone came to us, one of our clients actually came to us and they'd read a book called Wellness, The Next Trillion Dollar Industry and had said, okay, I need to know about this and how it affects beauty. They said, look, as part of our ongoing relationship together, can you sort of fill me in and create a little project that would be interesting for you to do that a little a little one. Yeah. and so we said okay sure well yeah we can do that and we you know um and i think we sort of felt it would be good for us to know about this industry anyway so we started quite small and the first thing we started on was what the heck is wellness because mm. it wasn't <laughs> like someone said to us uh we remember we met with a foodie originally and talked about natural food and we just stopped them in the middle of the conversation and said, what do you mean natural food? Isn't food natural? And, <laughs> yeah. and they Isn't were like, this oh, chip oh. in a packet natural? <laughs> it's a potato. Yeah, it's just, just packaged, right? <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, no, there's a lot of things that you shouldn't be eating in your food. And we're like, that is terrible, right? We were sort of... <laughs> Mind yeah. <laughs> and so we, we sort of went and then we were um I remember um up the road a little bit further near a place called Bell Harbor is a is an area called Adventura and we would go up there and there was a beautiful shopping area up there, luxury shopping. And so we'd go up there, sort of check out the department stores, Neiman Marcus is at one end, Saxfist at the other, and then all of these Gucci Pradas um <laughs> stores in the middle. <laughs> uh and we were up there and before you get there, um there's a little strip mall that's sort of on the highway and there was a kind of a health food shop and we thought we'd just pop in and grab something to eat and I ordered a juice and ordered some food and the guy charged me $9.50 US for the juice. It was what orange a bargain. juice. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, so uh, I can get like five liters of orange juice for $9.50. Yeah. Right? I can um, buy an orange farm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, and so I just said to him, what, why is your orange juice so expensive? And he goes, oh, well, we've, we've created a new enzyme intact orange juice. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so what is enzyme intact? Like, that is, <laughs> what does that even mean? That just sounds weird. And what he'd done is convert a wheatgrass juicer into making oh. orange juice. And basically he said, if you keep the enzymes intact in food when you juice them, particularly fruit, they have a profoundly different response in the body. You get a lower yield, but the digestive system responds completely different to them. So this was in like late 90s. And I was going to say, and I was like, <laughs> how did that land with you? Like, and I was like you're on yeah, some kind of I was crack. Like, uh, okay, so whatever, you know, I don't believe anything. And, and they're also coming at you from, you know, there's a lot of mung beans and sandals going on. And you're kind of like, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of like, what? Credible thing could come out of your mouth, right? I um, love it's, not, <laughs> it's not exactly a scientific conversation. Yeah. So, and we're used to dealing with cosmetic chemists and you know, human biologists who are very sort of rigidly rigid, scientists. Yes, exactly. Mm. And all of a sudden, we've got this sort of hippie-like character who's swanning around in, in tie-dye, giving us um, advice on enzymes. And so it was just sort of something that kind of dismissed it and then just moved on. And it came back later when we were sort of thinking about food. And just through a natural journey, we found different people that were all in different spaces of what we would call wellness. And that all of it started to lead back to actually how your body performs, functions, and, and ultimately how you look. Mm -hmm. And so um, there were just different touch points, whether it was emotional in terms of stress and, and um chemical reactions we create or environmental or food, topical, digestive, all of these sort of aspects and 
the negative effects that we were employing at the time in terms of food and, and cosmetics and all sorts of things started to lead back to a beauty conversation. So we took our sort of preliminary findings back to our executive and said, hey, we think there's really something here. We created a rudimentary, a cream and a wash, basically, to say we think we can formulate without the negative ingredients. And the benefit is that your body responds differently to natural molecular structures. And in particular, natural. Anything that's natural versus artificial, but even natural molecular structures versus nature-identical molecular structures, which scientists hate that statement because they say if it's molecularly identical, it's identical. Um, (laughs) But there's some research that came out about 10 years later that talks a lot about, it was in vitamin E, um, that talks a lot about imitating natural molecular structures and how difficult it is to do and how Mm. the body just doesn't respond the same way. The same way. In fact, the study on vitamin E was about 1.4 natural ingredient gets 1.4 times better absorption in the body. Wow. So it was things like that that were that came out later, but were sort of statements that people would make. To be honest, it was largely unfounded. And we would sit there and going, "Where's the evidence for that?" And they'd mm. go, "Well, it just makes sense." And you'd be, "Okay, well, <laughs> great argument. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for the detail." <laughs> exactly. So we took it back to our our. our executive and he said look I mean on the positive it was a really new area he was sort of very forward thinking tying the two pieces together the negative is cost of goods was different scalability was not good Mm. because we're dealing with natural manufacturing processes were different so he had to employ different filling facilities and all sorts Mm. of things long story short he said this is the bleeding edge of the market not the leading edge and I don't think it's for us no yeah so we were like uh Okay, uh, I, don't think, do it anyway. I don't think you're right. Let's do some more work on it and present back to you. So we went away, did some more work, presented again, presented a n- more refined product. No. So we said, okay, no problem. We have got other clients. We'll shop it with other clients. So we took the idea to a couple of other key clients. Everybody just said, yeah, this is way too early to consume. We don't, we, number one, we're not sure whether it's a fad idea. And wild oats and whole foods were just starting to get traction at that point. Yeah. In LA, it was bigger. Miami was just starting its journey in that space um, with a few pop-ups and independents. Mm. And then some of the bigger chains were coming online. But most of America was oblivious and really has been oblivious even up until the last couple of years around natural and organic and what the merits of it is. So then we... Shopped around, everybody just said, no, it's a fad. It's no market for it. You might have identified a market, but there was no gap in them. There's no market in the in that gap that you've mm. identified. We felt it was probably <laughs> just an information gap for them. Yeah. And so we went, okay, you don't quite understand. So let's get more detail for you. But it wasn't an information gap. It was a philosophical perception, yeah. right? A, a, a strategic perception that they had, which was different from us and information wasn't going to solve it. And like a risk appetite, probably. Probably a risk, yeah, exactly. And and I think there's a lot, even to today, is a big difference to how the two companies run, the traditional beauty company and a, and a new niche um, kind of nat- natural organic mm-hmm. company run. And in terms of costs and the, the layers of management that you can have and all those sorts of things are different. And it stops, I think, your agility, which is why like the, the massive, massive companies, they just can't move as quickly as small business, which is why small business has become such an emerging yeah, area. Yeah, 
And so, and so, yeah, I totally agree. And and the risk appetite's not there too, because mm. if you do something wrong in a large company as a middle management person, you're out. You're out. <laughs> so, so why try? Right? Whereas just, you guys, it's like just two minute noodles for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um, so, um, yeah, so we continue to do things in product development, and then I just said, look, this has got no commercial future. So we, and it was sort of a throwaway comment. We've either, I think we've probably just got to let it go or we've got to do it ourselves. Ha ha, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and Kirsten again said, well, maybe we create our own brand. Oh my God. And I was like, oh, yeah, probably not. You don't realize at the moment we're a consultancy. So all we deal with is time and team members. And so you don't have stock and yeah. cash flow and... It's like um, the, the most foreign business structure you could jump into is the one that you did. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and woo. So, woo, yeah. So we, we basically then said, okay, after it was a long process going round and, and round and there was a few we, few times we just said no and then we said yes and then no and finally we went, okay, we're going to do this. Then we decided to shift it back to Australia. Mum and dad were coming back. Um, weren't getting any younger so we said well look we'll never see them if we set it up here mm. and we have to be sitting here once we make these financial commitments it's going to be a significant amount of time that we have to be domicile like 20 years so basically said look let's go back to Australia our sister came back eventually from London so we're all back in Melbourne at that point and then we were very excited we we're cashed up ready to go <laughs> feeling great when yeah. I said cashed up not really cashed up we thought we were cashed up yeah and we had uh, a client that owed us a chunk of money. And so we bought this property in Richmond. We were like, okay, this is going to be our place that we're going to set up. It's going to be a home, office on the ground, home on top. This is great. And then our major client that owes a whole bunch of money went bankrupt. And so we were like, that's like how we're going to fund the whole thing. Kids and I looked at each other and said, what do we do? We're in the process of building this property. <laughs> uh, we sort of have said goodbye to all our clients. Oh my gosh! Um, People don't know the adversity that comes before something <laughs> even gets off the ground. <laughs> we didn't even launch it. Right? Yeah. Didn't even came up with a name or anything. <laughs> and so we were like, okay. So we quickly rallied the team that we had brought back from bought from the US across. We quickly rallied, did a couple of projects just to pay bills, and we would we were willing to do anything, and ended up um, hilariously getting into stuff that we didn't expect to so we actually worked and created a brand called two times you which is a sportswear brand um in australia it's it's i did um, not know that was you guys yeah so we ended up creating that totally out of necessity to pay bills right and it was very (laughs) much a graphic exercise so we didn't obviously use any of our science people yeah. in that regard it was just that the we knew one of the guys who who was starting it it was originally going to be called jack sports which is jamie aiden clyde three guys that started it oh my god and um and jamie came to us and said can you help and we were like yeah we probably could but <laughs> we're it's just not twiddling our, forte. our thumbs and, at the moment yeah. <laughs> and he goes but you guys you know beauty is a tough market and mm. you do great beauty things can you create a great looking brochure or something right we're like, well, Jack Sports, we don't like the name Jack. That's got to go. And so we sort of created a little project we did over Christmas. So wow. this was November. We did that project from November. We worked all the way through. What year was uh, this? Gosh, what year was this? 
was this? This would have been 2001, 2002. Oh my gosh, okay, yep. So basically designed the wetsuit, designed the all the garments, came out with the name, the logo. I did the logo at the end of my bed. Um, so we, <laughs> by that point we had said, right, we're going to have to economize. So we shifted into mum and dad's place out at Mount Macedon. Oh my gosh, and I, what I, a story. I, it was like, <laughs> and now it's so like, this is a great success story. We're like, 30 and 32 living at mum and dad's place yeah without a penny living the dream you know living the dream. <laughs> um, and kind of going okay so we just need to pay bills we need to get some money flowing we'll do this project we did that project and then did a couple of other little projects which are more in our space and then when did you jump and then decided and so we we were gradual so we, we closed down every expense we could and then converted at the end of that project we converted the back part of mum and dad's garage into a studio. We called it a studio. Yeah. We paid our team travel time to come out to um, Mount Macedon, which is about an hour's drive from Melbourne. Beautiful area. Um, so we paid them the hour out. They had to drive home. Uh, but <laughs> Good compromise. <laughs> but mum but mum cooked you lunch oh. when you came out. So oh, perks. <laughs> perks. So food was provided. So basically they would travel out, we'd do our thing in the back of the garage for the day and then they would and then we'd have lunch together and then everyone would travel home again and we would stay out at Mount Macedon. And so and we did that for gosh, it would have been about a year and a half, something like that. Um, decent Humble amount of beginnings time. of grown alchemist. <laughs> and so, and eventually we launched and, uh, and had really zero idea of what we were, you know, what we we're in for. What were the first products you launched with? We developed a whole bunch. Oh, so it wasn't just, um, it wasn't <coughs> gradual well, we on the product front. Bunch, but we, we, we were told, we employed this guy from Johnson & Johnson because he was sort of a sales guy and, um, and he said, you've got to go to market with a small range. So we ended up limiting it to four, so 15, 15 products. Oh, that's, um, yeah, I mean, not what I would call small. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and basically went to market with a shelf. Oh, my God. Oh, so from that moment mm. until now, mm. I mean, the, the growth has been absolutely extraordinary. And I actually hadn't really gotten my head around how early you were to cut through a very traditional non-wellness-focused highly saturated industry to have gotten the success that you have and, and like into the hands and the trusted hands now of like Hollywood heavyweights and, and big US stores and, and all over the country. What have been, you think, the key features or brand values or, or features of the range that have allowed you to get to where you are and also just catch us up quickly on where you are now from that point. <laughs> well, so today we're, um, we're in about 35 countries. Our biggest market's America. Um, we're expanding quickly into doing a lot of cross-border with, with China. We have formed a new China company um, out based out of Hong Kong. So it's a big market for us and very mm. exciting. And in Europe, we're in most countries in Europe. And in Australia, we're really excited to be doing some lovely new partnerships with David Jones ex Ooh. exclusively for department store. Um, I tried the oxygen facial. Oh, fantastic. It was amazing. Yeah, so they're, and they're just, they've been, um, and they've gone through a whole regeneration, I think, as a company. And we dealt with them back in 2008. Very different company to deal with than the company we're dealing with today, who's very forward thinking mm. and extremely interested in animation and store and mm. a much more open environment. And I think the department store world's changed since then. And they, they realize that it's got to be theater. And I think. 
they've really caught on to that, David Jones and their management team are, are providing us really some amazing opportunities, which I think if you'd asked us whether we would have had those opportunities five years ago, I would have dreamt about them. Um, yeah. And so to have them today is incredible. So that's kind of where we are right now. In terms of the journey to get there and what have been, I guess, the turning points. Mm. Um, nothing ever prepares you for the obstacles, right? <laughs> and, and they come at you in weird ways. Yeah. Things that you just never would expect would happen you in the middle of. Just quickly, our, our second segment, as you guys know, is Natia. I think we're kind of slowly moving towards <laughs> pretty much all the shit that gets in the way. Yeah. And and, and there's a lot of it. I, I think if we, you know, you sort of start right at the, the, the base level, being really interested and passionate about what you're doing carries a lot of weight because of the energy it produces for you, mm. right? If you don't like what you're doing and it's going well, it's hard to get to work, right? If you don't like what you're doing and it's going badly, it's almost impossible to get out of bed. So liking what you do and just it, it has a motivation in itself. I think you also get to the point where you can't afford to fail. And we were there, right? So, uh, I mean, <laughs> back we, at home. we're back at home. <laughs> um, we had sort of uh, everything, everything we could sell to turn into some sort of cash we had sold to go into this mm. enterprise and literally trying to just be as economically efficient as possible so that all the funds that we we had could go towards the project you have to be all in it's all in right and and so when you're all in and you get an obstacle your response to the obstacle is i've just got to get around it i can't afford to lose uh i i can't throw away everything i've ever done up until the age of 32 or whatever it was at that point i i I, I can't I start to, again. Go it's got, it. got to work, <laughs> yeah. right? And so we just got to think of a way around this obstacle or or another way to do it. And I think that requirement is sometimes an important part of success, mm. more important than I realised. Um, not having a way back mm. is sometimes the, the way that gets you going forward. And I think that allows you sometimes to not entertain failure. Absolutely. Because sometimes it's a decision. And then I think what happens along the way is as you get further determined to to take that next step, people call it lucky. You had a lucky opportunity. There is a bit of fortune and luck in in everything. But there's a statement that fortune favours the brave. And I sort of translate that to fortune favours the positioned, right? Absolutely. I was just about to say luck has to find you prepared to receive it. Yeah. Or prepared to do anything with it because if you aren't, if you haven't done the groundwork and laid the foundation to be able to actually make the use of that opportunity, some people get those opportunities and can't translate them into anything. Yeah. So it's not that you were lucky and then it all happened. It's that you had one part of the ingredients, which is the luck, and then the second part is everything you do with it. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally right. And I, I remember the first time we ever met with Barney's in New York, which was always a dream for us to, to be in Barney's. And same thing was with Lane Crawford in Hong Kong. It was mm. like, wow, two retailers that we had visited when we were young, just with like eyes wide open of, of amazement. I remember the conversation, which, so the lucky part with Barney's was finding someone that could make an introduction and was willing to do it mm. so that we could get the meeting because mm. we couldn't get in there. The The position part was when we got there, they said, we're kind of interested in this new space of natural and you guys seem to be developed in your natural thinking. So we're going to give you a try. The work we had done, never intending for it to be part of that Barney's conversation, became 
so relevant. pretty essential to mm. get the Barney's account. And I think if we turned up with ideas and plans, they would have gone, come back to us when you've got more than ideas and plans. But the fact that we'd just moved forward and that we'd made progress and developed products and actually uh, had a range and had got some sales in little old Australia uh, <laughs> and in and, and whatever avenues we could um, and then presented it to Barney's and then Barney's went, yeah, we're in. Mm. You know, that's sort of a combination of a couple of things. Being able to, you don't know um, what you might need in that moment and the moment's a fortunate moment um, to have it in the first place. But having the preparation and having some things um, that you've positioned yourself uh, for success is yeah. a pretty critical part. Absolutely. And I think the other big part of that is that then when you get those opportunities and someone does take a risk on you, like it's something you've wanted forever, but then when it actually happens, you have to be kind of ready to actually go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this now. Yeah. A quick word from our sponsors. I had a mini chat with a special guest from Premedy. We have a very special guest in the studio today. It's David O'Reilly, the Education Manager at Promedy. Dave, thank you for coming along. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you're here to discuss the microbiome and how we can support it. But first, what exactly is the microbiome? Well, Sarah, it's the name given to the body's very own ecosystem within our bodies. The trillions of bacteria and other microbes that play an important role in our general and digestive system health. A healthy balance of these bacteria can support our general health and well-being. Which is funny because bacteria used to carry such negative connotations. Yeah, well, there's still some nasty ones out there, but we know that some bacteria are actually good for us too. We also know that a healthy ecosystem contains a rich diversity of bacteria. And where are those bacteria usually located? Well, we understand that the gut contains the most abundant and diverse population of bacteria, but we host microbes across our entire body, particularly on the skin, the mouth and the urogenital tract. Is there a way to support the bacteria? A healthy diet and regular exercise are the best ways to support microbiome health. And where does Premedy fit into this picture? At Premedy, we take a holistic approach to health and well-being, including how we look at supporting a healthy microbiome. A healthy diet and plenty of exercise are the best place to start and can be nicely complemented with a probiotic supplement. Premedy Daily Probiotic 15 and Children's Probiotic 15 support a healthy digestive system, maintain healthy levels of beneficial bacteria and support general health and well-being. Interesting. So where can we learn more about all this? Visit premedy.com.au or selected health food stores. But just remember, always read the label, follow the directions for use, and if symptoms persist, talk to your health professional. Amazing. Thanks, Dave. Pleasure. And one of the things that comes up so often on this podcast, and I'm, I'm so interested to hear your perspective, particularly as a male, because I think we focus on this so much as women and don't often get the male perspective on the, the cr sometimes crippling nature of the self-doubt that then comes when you're doing anything that's new for yourself, but particularly for you guys doing it when it's new for the world and the landscape that you're going into. It's, it's one thing to be doing something you've never done before, but when almost everyone in the industry is not up to speed with you and you're getting no's and you're getting scepticism and you're getting, you were very early to be against animal testing and, and to be free from chemicals in a time when people were like, the chemicals are what I like, like that's yeah. what makes it work. <laughs> yeah. And you, you are passing on higher pricing than what they were used to because the packaging is recyclable because there are so many things about your brand that are different how do you combat the self-doubt then going into pitches like that when you're you know do you feel worried or do, do you ever get that 
imposter syndrome of like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, am I going to be able to do this? And how do you move forward through that? It's definitely there. Um, And it comes up um, sometimes when you least expect it. I mean, um, I'm married to a very strong um, woman who's extremely capable and um, I stand amazed. She does things that I could never do and I stand amazed with her many, many times. Um, Then I watch her go, at times, this is all overwhelming. How am I going to get it all done? Mm. How am I going to get through this? I'm also supposed to be a mum. And, you know, so then she loads guilt on herself. And I think there's some things in that which I'm not sure whether it's me or whether it's guys, we don't seem to carry. Like, I've never sat there and gone, it's really hard to be a business person and a dad. I go, yeah, of course I can do that. Yeah, My dad did it. I'm, I can do it. Should be fine. But it's partly because I've got such an amazing wife that does the a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah. More than fifty percent away next last year. She she sort of carries that load enormously well mm-hmm. um, with the family. When it comes to the business side, one of the things that we never appreciated when we started was there's power in two. When things get crazy or when things happen whether it's competitors trying to have a go at you or a market not performing so well or a distributor doing something they shouldn't be doing, or mm. whatever it is, having the ability to go, this is crazy, this situation. What did we do? Sometimes it's just talking about it and lightens the load, right? Other times, Keston will be down in the dumps and I'll be sort of like, ah, don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll fix it, you know? Yeah. And Flip also happens where I'm like, I'm really, really worried about it. And he goes, hey, we'll make it through. We'll figure out a way. Mm. And so sometimes you carry and sometimes you need carrying. Um, and having a partner who you can trust with everything to do that is way more important and a, a much greater asset than I ever imagined when we started. Because really, that's not why we started together. We started together because we thought it would be fun and and we enjoyed each other's company and complemented each other. But actually, a big part of the benefit of what we we have together is that those chats, the lunchtime. So we we try whenever we're in the same country to have lunch together every day to use use that sort of time as a, hey, how are things going? What are you thinking? Sometimes it's just random chatter. Uh, It could be a production thing or um, Mm. one of our scientists needs a break because they're going crazy and how do we make that happen (laughs) for them? Um, So all that kind of talk where just sharing that burden is, is remarkably beneficial. I also think having, so my husband is my business partner, I think mass generalization, of course, not all things are gender related, but in many cases with us too, why he is so able to move past his self-doubt so quickly is A, because we ventilate it between each other, but also because there's a really, there's something to be said for the underthinking. Like I think women are thinkers. We have like, I don't even know how many, it's scientifically proven to have a lot more volume of thoughts go through our head per day because we just think about everything. We overthink everything. And I have learned to kind of adopt that trait of underthinking when I know that I'm going to, it's only going to be to my detriment to just go, okay, I'm feeling a little bit icky. I'm, I'm doubting myself a little bit, but let's just do it anyway. And yeah. then by the time you've you know done all the stuff, it's kind of faded away. And I think that's something I've tried to absorb. Before we move away from your work identity, because a big part of this podcast is investigating who you are outside what you do. I'd just like to ask, A, what some of the biggest highlights have been for you along the way? I imagine there's been an incredible amount with, you know, that people who have got behind the brand and the places you've been able to stock. B, the Valentine's Day products that are coming out soon. And C, the amazing work you guys are doing for the bushfires. Sure. So 
Uh, highlights, gosh, there are funny little things that have really stuck with me. Um, I think the biggest one I, and then one of the most profound moments was we were struggling to um, get David Jones and Meyer into a conversation. We thought, this is how naive we are, and again, it pays back into your, we just didn't know, so we sort of <laughs> did it. Um, it also means you are bolder in your, your requests of people because yeah. you're like, I don't know how obnoxious this is. Yeah. <laughs> you should think it's normal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we sent a whole bunch of stuff to David Jones and Meyer and we were like, um, maybe it got lost because they haven't got back to us, so we sent some more stuff and <laughs> called them. And Hello, um, yeah, we're, and we're, like, we're waiting we're for waiting. your response, like, your yeah. eager response. Yeah, surely you want to stalk us and... Um, and in the meantime, while we were sort of waiting for their response, we went into a couple of pharmacies in, in Melbourne uh, and, and put our product in there. And the first one was um, C.J. Wallace and Sons in Turak, right? <laughs> and we were super proud. They were so lovely. I just sort of would hung, hang out in store just watching. It's not a very big store, but I'd hang out in store just watching people. And I remember watching this lady who walked up to our area of the store grabbed a body cream off the shelf, flipped the box around, read the box, kind of just lingered a little bit, and then went up to the counter to buy it. And I just was like, wow. That's a stranger. She, yeah, she doesn't know. And, 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 and for me, it was one of those things where you go, she earned that money. That's, she's parting with her hard-earned money to buy something that we created. Mm. And, and when it's a physical product versus a service, it, it just struck me as something quite amazing. Mm. And then also I felt the responsibility, oh, my gosh, I hope she really enjoys it. Yeah, shit. Because she's bought it and <laughs> yeah. she's paid money for it and it better be everything she wants it to be. Mm. And then we had this um, uh, Svani Maya contacted us. And in the meantime, I, you know, we had been amazed at the lack of response in mm. the department stores. <laughs> and we're talking <laughs> month three. And, uh, and we touched base with a friend who sold leather goods into David Jones. We said to her, David Jones, Maya... They, they haven't got back to us. How do you guys deal with them and how do you get them sort of on the phone? Because they won't even answer the phone. Mm. You know, we get the sort of some sort of assistant or something. We don't know who she is, but she just mobs us off. And she looks at us like you guys are like in some la-la land. <laughs> There's like 200 brands a year get given to them and they take one. And so yeah. normally the persistent brand will might get some action, but you're talking year three. Yeah, it's been like 12 <laughs> weeks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. And, of course, all my spreadsheets were like, David Jones is going to be stocking the brand from month four, right? And so... <laughs> <laughs> you got to be ambitious, you know? <laughs> so I'm kind of like remodeling frantically going, how do we make this financial thing work? By that point, we had employed a sales manager, um, three sales reps. Oh, my god! They'd all been given cars and mobiles. And we were like... <laughs> The burn rate had gone through the roof and, and I was just panicking. And then Maya called us and so it was the buyer's assistant. So we went in, we sat in a very small little room that could barely hold four people and she had all the product lined up on the table and her name was Marissa and she was super lovely and she said to us, we're going to take the brand. Oh my god! And we were like, amazing. And I sort of looked at the products and realised one of the products had been opened and I said, so how do you know that you want to take the brand if you've only just like tried oh one product. Oh my God, why did you even ask any more questions? It was, it was the silliest Stop. thing to say. It was like <laughs> never, it was, the, it was probably the, the, she was a bit like put back, like this guy's a moron and basically said to me, she said, ah, okay, so here's the situation. I buy boxes and I sell, my job is to sell your product once. Oh shit. And if the product doesn't sell more than once, it's your fault. And if it doesn't sell once, it's my fault. 
So I think I can sell your product once. And the rest is on you. And the rest is on you. So every three months we're going to have a meeting and you're going to, we're going to decide whether we give you another three months. So what we want to do is just get the contract sorted, get everything done, and let's get going, and we'll see where it goes. She gave us four stores, which was for her a huge number of stores mm. out of her 65, and we would go in for these meetings every three months. We're literally at the guillotine every three months, and um, and then we would some somehow scrape through the meeting, and then we'd get like another three months, and then after about 12 to sort of 15 months, it stopped, and we went to a quarterly Sorry, I know, an annual, um, oh no, biannual, every you six upgraded. months. And so it was like, uh, every six months now. Oh. You know? And so we kind of went, okay. And then she gave us eight stores and then eventually we got 65 stores. Oh my gosh. So it was, it was that initial meeting with the buyer, that comment she made, which was basically, you've got a responsibility to make sure people come back, really stuck with us. Mm-hmm. And I, everything became about how do we make the brand sell through? And she was really good at holding our hand to explain to us what it is to be in a department store and deal with a retailer and how to make that work mm. versus just focusing on product development the whole time, right, which is kind of the thing we like to do. I think those are two critical moments very early on that set us uh, on the right track. I love that so much as well because it's what we talk about a lot as well is that the way that people measure their success, the metrics that you think are your proudest moments or your most successful moments – I think where you get where things get muddied is when they're just purely financial or box ticking independently of the fulfillment or the emotional attachment that you have to things. And that's where I think the chasm that a lot of people that causes a lot of people's unhappiness is the difference between the should boxes that they tick, but then the values that they actually get fulfilled by right. and not really not realizing that their decision making hasn't been in line with that. But I love that the two proudest, most uh, early moments that stick in your mind aren't like financial metrics that you've hit. They're not like, you know, targets that you've gotten or accolades. It, it's literally those moments that were formative for you. And I love that your mindset being focused on that has probably been what's given the brand longevity and trust. And, you know, I, I think it, it's such a nice reflection that that has been how you measure the things that stand out the most to you. Well, I, and I think my, my dad always talked a lot about things called moral contracts, right? Yeah. <clears throat> what an extraordinary man, by the way. <laughs> He's fantastic. Oh my He's gosh. so fantastic. And one of the things he said to us early on is he, he said, brands are, are, are an implicit promise to do something, mm. right? It's an unconscious promise to deliver. So what's the moral contract between you and your consumer? And how do you make sure you always maintain that and, and keep that intact? That inherently or subconsciously and sometimes overtly just drives different decisions. You sort of have, and I, I think this is why this time for us is a very exciting time of moving into retail um, directly, having our own environment, um, and then also having counters in David Jones where we get to have conversations that we haven't been able to have because we haven't had those environments, mm. is that you become closer even to your consumer and and, and the people that make you a brand and that you can hear more directly clearer what are the things that they want to see more of and what are the moral contracts that they value yeah you know whatever we do those have to be our our points 
um, of new product development. They have to be our points of innovation. And that's why we sort of have talked about ourselves, um, particularly over the last 10 years, as being not being transfixed on being a skincare company, but being a beauty company, which is you know similar but different. If a cream isn't the best way to administer beauty, then we need to find what else does it, right? So which has caused us to become interested in things like drip therapy and um, and and which is going, which is part of our, our new offering, oxygen therapy, um, light therapy, different mechanisms that trigger the skin, whether it's nutrition or whatever it is that create function and, and beauty. So innovative. Having that understanding allows you to not be too myopic. Absolutely. So quickly before we move on to the last section, Lipped Lock Kit and the Bushfires. Yes. Sorry, I forgot both of those. No, I, I knew at the time. I was like, why did I do an ABC question? That was so stupid because no, no, no. even I forgot. <laughs> um, so lip lock is a, is a fun thing that we, um, that we wanted to do that just engages the, cl- uh, the customer in a different way. And um, basically what we've done is take our watermelon lip balm and turned it in, in red. Um, and created a little twin pack that's one for you and one for your partner. Oh, and um, Nikki boy, <laughs> you've got a lip gloss coming your way. <laughs> and and I think one of the the things we we're enjoying is um, having a bit more playfulness to what we do. Mm. And part of our retake team are actually they've created these um, street teams that are going to be running around with um, them in, with in the them streets in, with them in their hands um, <laughs> asking awesome. asking people to be their valentine and so um if you get asked please say yes um <laughs> and giving them some lip balm you know just to brighten up their day um so it's it's fun things like that that i think are great for us as a team to be involved in you know mm. um so doing uh, that's our lip lock a lip locked um campaign uh, and and program and the bushfires, I mean, who could have imagined what a horrific situation? Um, and uh, I think in our wildest dreams, we, we, we couldn't have predicted it ever got this bad. I'm not affected personally living in Melbourne. Um, and I was in Sydney and was party to the smoke over the break, and, um, but a long way away from it. Um, and when you see the pictures, uh, I think it's just human response um, to... To, to rally mm. and to help s- someone else as you would hope they would do if you were in that situation. You know, I'm recently an Australian citizen. I'm very proud to be so. Congratulations. Uh, so, uh, and, and I, I heard the test is so rigorous, by the way. I would not rigorous. pass. It's quite rigorous. <laughs> and, but one of the things they talk about in it, and I really loved it, the whole process, even from the ceremony at the end where you sing together and you mm. get given a wattle tree and all those sorts of things. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. I really, really loved it. But they talk about a thing called mateship. And it's a thing that's really struck, stuck with me. And it's part, they talk about it's part, uh, part of your responsibility as an Australian citizen to have mateship. And I think what this has shown is there's mateship, not just in Australia, but globally, with other brands joining to both beauty and, 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 and other brands outside of beauty to join with Australian people to really rally. Mm. Um, and so we're doing our bit as a brand um, I, we've really wanted to take a, an approach where it's not... I think everybody's doing what they can do. Mm. And it's not an approach that we want to do over a short term. Actually, we're taking a longer term view on it. Something that we want to continue to to do over the next 12 months, at least. Because I think the process of of repair is, is not a short one, given mm. the devastation. And there and is a lot of immediacy. And then you forget that the, the longer term effects is actually when people need 
continued help, but kind of everyone's gone so hard so fast yeah. that there does need to be something left for, for the long haul. And I think um, I think there's a lot of companies that that see that too, mm. and um, and I'm just you know I'm truly proud of the the outpouring that's happened, mm. um, and and also the passion inside our company and inside other companies to really get behind people who have lost everything, mm. and also the wildlife and taking care of them. The conversation that we've had internally is is how do we do something that's meaningful with a commitment that doesn't sort of end at the end of the month that goes on and so there's a number of different initiatives that we're going to do some of them we'll just do on our own some of them we're very excited to have our customer base um, partner with us on I think so many wonderful Australian companies are joining Mm. and it's really just wonderful to be part of that outpouring Mm. Um, I, I think Australia can stand really proud at how we get behind each other. Mm. And, I love and, that concept know, of other. mateship. I think that is such a, a beautiful way to describe what everyone's been doing in the in the community. And it's such an Aussie way to say it as well, which is <laughs> even nicer. <laughs> so the very last section is called Play TA, which is a, a call out to all the parts of our personalities that very rarely get airtime because the business story is so impressive and inspiring and motivating. But I think what... What does happen to us is we tend to let that our productivity and our doing self become the entirety of our personality and then we don't leave any time for being a parent, being a friend, being a partner and, and just being a person who has interests outside of their vocation. So outside of your grown alchemist co-founder and hatch self, what do you do to get happiness that isn't necessarily productive, that doesn't necessarily further your development or learning and that just is for your joy? Well, it's a great question and probably not quite enough of it, uh, my opinion. <laughs> I don't think any of us <laughs> do, really. <laughs> um, I, I think um, it's changed. In the early days of, of having grown alchemist, it was we would literally – there was a point where it was very unhealthy. We, I got I, – I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of had um, before launch – Lots and lots of time. And actually, I was dating my wife at the time, um, or my, my um, fiancé at the time, who then became my wife. And I would pick her up from work, and we would sort of spend every weekend together, and we had so much le- leisure time. It was ridiculous. <laughs> What's that? And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then uh, we launched just after we came back from honeymoon. And she didn't see me, I don't think, for the first year. She, the only oh. time she would see me is if she actually came into the office and oh I'd, I'd leave at like 6 a.m. We'd get back at 2 a.m. Mm. We were just working crazy hours just because there was just the two of us. And so and then we started adding people and we thought that would lighten the load. And initially it actually created a lot more work. So finally we got a head above the clouds. But in the early days, the thing that we would do is we had um, road bikes. So we'd go cycling. It's kind of like one thing when you're cycling is you can't be on your phone. Mm. You can't be, you know, and in those days there wasn't lots of digital gadgets. You would just sort of ride next to each other and you could chat. And, and so that was a big part. Then um, kids came along. Yeah. <laughs> my oldest is now seven. And last year my wife traded our bikes in. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Bye-bye mental health. Yeah. <laughs> because we had literally not used them in like five, seven years. Um, so uh, it sort of switched. And we, we kind of went through this process where we call it the cloud, right, where you basically are like everything is becoming about work. And then when it's not work, it's kids. 
And which is so common. Which is so it, common. And it, and you get to a point where you're like, survival is just enough. That's good enough for now. Mm. And I think there's a part of that that's just fine. That is young being a it's parent being, to young children yeah. and having a career. I mean, that's it's kind of coping, right? Yeah. And making and figuring out how to make it work. And I think that we're at a really lovely time where we've just emerged from that space. We've got seven and five. They can wipe their own butts. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> big steps. <laughs> big, big steps. <laughs> and you know, you're at a we're at a point now where we can actually, you know, do things like dinners out and get back into exercise. And mm. so we've we've started exercising together again and we do things like F45 and so we, we try and make whatever leisure pursuits we do good healthy ones so that we feel doubly productive doubly productive <laughs> afterwards we yeah. feel, feel really good afterwards we, That's we, good. we when we first started getting back into sort of lifestyle things like travel done a little bit of travel together just the two of us we kind of went the traditional travel which was you know eat all the wrong food drink too much and we came back feeling like Okay. Death. This is this is now we now need another holiday from our yeah. holiday. Um, we need rehab. Exactly. <laughs> we structure things a little differently now because we know that we just feel better after and 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 there's a lot more enjoyable things to do. So one of my absolute chill out things I love to do is go to the movies. I love movies. Oh, see Everyone has something. <laughs> Even if it's only one thing that you consistently make time for, I think that is enough to signal to your brain. In It's always in a way that's mutually exclusive with using your devices. Yeah. It's, everyone's hobby is. Yeah. It, it signals to your brain that, you know, it can relax into something that isn't productive. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you go to the movies. <laughs> so I every few months I trade all my points on my credit card in for gold class vouchers because <laughs> I like doing it gold class. Uh, and and so it's generally me and my son um, and possibly Emily as well um, sitting in a movie, eating popcorn, watching something. Um, and uh, we did something last week. What did we watch last week? I can't even remember. But it was a kids movie. Uh, we've watched, uh, we probably go a couple of times a month minimum. That's amazing. So, and they love it. I think it's an excuse for him to have popcorn and chocolate. Um, that's why he likes it. Um, but <laughs> great. And my daughter's <laughs> in the candy floss. So, oh, yeah, those. Well, we that, all that's have the our, that's the combo. Our vices. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can split the combo. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so financially efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty mundane things, but they're um, the mundane it's time. are the loveliest things. Yeah, and I think I think time is is the most important asset mm. that. Time, it's generally time with family. We just love hanging out together whenever we can as mm. a family. And the kids are at such a lovely time where you can have a conversation, they say hilarious things, you know. <laughs> You'll have a chuckle. They're, they're very entertaining <laughs> in their own right. And, you know, so whatever it is, it's, and, and we've just started traveling with them. Oh, that's so, so, which so is exciting. On Monday, actually, we've got, they don't know it, but. Um, are they going with you this trip? Yes. <gasps> So on Monday we've planned a um, – we've been talking about Disneyland. I was about to say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, and we said to them – they said, can we go to Disneyland? And, and we said, well, it costs a lot of money to go to Disneyland. And so we've been – over the last nearly – gosh, nearly a year, they've been saying, can we have this, you know, this toy or whatever? And we've said, well, we can do it, but it's going to come at the cost of – Disneyland. Disneyland. It doesn't mean that we won't go. It just means that we're going to have to wait longer. And so they've been having to make those calls for the last 12 months, sometimes in favour of and sometimes not. And so on Monday they get 
the ability to to go to Disneyland. So we're going to surprise them Monday morning and oh say, um, so we thought we'd go to Disneyland today. <laughs> so amazing. off we will go. Yeah, so it'll be it, it'll be fun. So traveling with them has been, you know, when that now they're at an age where they can sit for 15 hours in a plane mm. and not sort of have a meltdown. Um, <laughs> I mean, I still sometimes have a meltdown, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. We all do. Um, so, one of, yeah. One of my big commitments that I've been thinking about for so long because my parents did it was to take our kids to Disneyland in that beautiful phase of their life where yeah. it's absolutely magical because yeah. if you miss that, yeah. I mean, if circumstances allow, but there's there's a small window of their lives where it will be truly... 100%. They believe yeah. in it so much. Oh, and, and the characters are completely real. Oh, my gosh. Uh, 100%. I have a book of autographs that I went and got every day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Didn't notice there were totally different people in the same <laughs> costumes. Who cares? Like, as a kid, it's just... It's the most magical time of your life. And I yeah. always have said, like... It doesn't matter if I can afford it or not. It doesn't matter what else is happening. If I wait until, you know, that time has passed, I want to give it to them when, it, when yeah. it's the most, you know, beautiful. Yeah, oh. they're still very much in that category of um, Father Christmas Christmas is real, so are all the, wait, the fairies. <laughs> 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 Sorry if I blew that for anyone out wow. there. <laughs> <laughs> so just to finish up, second last question of every episode is what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in interviews? Oh my goodness. Totally random. Okay. Um, this is where like the really random, interesting, <laughs> fun stuff about people comes okay. out because you never get asked those things. It's well, always like, what's your work motto? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have one of the things that I get, um, I'm quite uh, methodical as a person. and and, and my, <laughs> and my, my brother finds it hilarious, right? Because he's everything, he's very creative. And so, and he works, and as a result, you know, cosmetic chemists are quite creative people. They're just sort of, creative in different ways and so he worked brilliantly with them when we started working together in that little house in 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 Takapuna Beach um we had one long table actually about nearly three meters long and he would sit at one end and I would sit at the other and finally he just stood up and went I can't do this anymore and I said <laughs> what like the whole thing's over already you know yeah. like <laughs> Wait, you're quitting? going a month you convinced <laughs> me to do this you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and he goes no I just can't work on the same table as you because you're just so ordered and you've got piles of things and everything's <laughs> methodical and organized and, <laughs> and in he says, I, I can't do creativity when I look at that right I have to have sort of a certain amount of chaos and That's uh, amazing. <laughs> and so so we've and even to today um, we sort of have a a, a a reasonable distance of separation between us so that he doesn't have to look at my order and and quite honestly I don't have to look at his disorder that um, is amazing so there's things like that that um, you discover about each other along the way and even you know I can't for me to go home at night, I really do have to have a clean desk and everything put oh, away. Oh, you're that, you're I'm that kind person. Of that person. Uh, <laughs> I love and, and, that. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say it because no, it's sort it's of like amazing. sleeping with the enemy um, kind of um, characteristics of, you know, but you can <laughs> towels are well ordered. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you have any like yeah. pet peeves or allergies or um, party tricks? <laughs> pet peeves. All my pet peeves, uh, like I... I one thing I can say is I married the perfect woman for me because she's absolutely, um, she's kind of like, she's very dynamic. She doesn't spend too long delivering, deliberating over things. And I think one of my characteristics is I, I make decisions quite quickly. 
Um, Which is interesting for someone so ordered. Yeah. Because you'd think you'd need to like tick all the things, you know. You see, I, when I come to major decisions, I don't tend to take too long. And I sort of go, look, it's probably not the right decision, but at least I'm making a decision, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, fuck it. Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, we're just doing it. <laughs> and, and sometimes you find out, oh, that wasn't a great one. But you've sort of moved forward a little bit most of the time, uh, at least. And, um, and so we're quite similar to that. And so one of my pet peeves is, and, and so when we say, uh, oh, let's do this, literally the two of us are probably not great for each other in this capacity because we both are like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden we've made that decision and we've moved forward and it could have been quite a significant decision that we should have given more consideration yeah. over that. <laughs> but on the flip side, that deliberation over decisions and that once I feel like I want to make that decision, it's really, really hard for me to to sort of slow it down. Oh, and like so when people need to really... Because so, some people need to digest issues. and yeah. need to think about stuff, and that's totally fine. But <laughs> I sit there and go like, okay, can we just get there? Are, yeah, we, like are we there yet? Are we, are we there yet? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's like, okay, you gave it to me like an hour ago and give me another hour, you know, and I'm like, can we just move on? Can we make that decision? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit impetuous like that. My team are very gracious with that. Um, they tend to... Um, be people that are not adverse to change yeah. <laughs> and, and quick sort of moves. Who can keep up with you. And, and <laughs> the ones that sort of have said, look, I, I think I'll go sort of and work in, in another place, the ones that kind of go, um, there's just so much instability, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. which I totally get. I totally get that. <laughs> Some people call it exciting. Other people just call it just chaos. Disastrous. You know, <laughs> um, so there's, there's de- definitely that. Um, you would hate making dinner decisions in our household. Right. Because we're so good at making fast decisions at work. Yeah. But I think our tolerance for decision-making then becomes so low when we get home that yeah. we're like, I don't care. Like, yeah. I'm easy. What do you decide? I'm easy. You decide. <laughs> and then we go through every cuisine and, like, every night it's just like agony. Yeah. Well, I'm like that with movies. Uh, oh, which <laughs> dinner, is hard. Dinner is no problem, but movies I'm, you know. My wife just goes, just pick one. Yeah, <laughs> or just like roll a dice or something. Yeah. <laughs> and very last question, since I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? Oh, my goodness. Um, I've got many favourite quotes, but one of the ones, my favourite quotes tend to relate to movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that doesn't surprise doesn't me either. <laughs> um, and there's one in another movie that I love um, called Out of Africa, and it's when um, uh, Karen Blixen uh, says, makes a statement. She says... Um, she says, I think I understand why God made the world round so you, you don't to see you don't get to see too far ahead. And I love that idea that actually I'm not sure how far ahead we're supposed to see. Yeah. It's planning is great in business and life and all those sorts of things, but there is a natural dynamic to everything that goes on, which is an element of unknown and surprise. Perhaps that's the thing that sometimes gets us into something and keeps us going in something where otherwise we may have stopped. And so I'm less, uh, you know, I've got responsibilities to um, sort of create five-year plans. And I finally got everybody down to, okay, I'm not going to go any further than three and I'm only going to present a 12-month plan with, with detail because the world changes quickly, life changes quickly, and we have to be willing to flow with that. I think that's both personal and business and just general. And not be afraid to make a call and go, oh, that was the wrong call, let's make it again. Mm. Um, I know more now. The world's turned a little bit further. Yeah. (laughs) 
That is the most beautiful way to finish. Thank you so much for sharing your time so welcome. and wisdom. My pleasure. No, my pleasure. Oh, it's been amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Your thank questions you. are stunning. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I don't know about you, but I could have listened to Jeremy detail the grown alchemist journey all day long. You all know I love my research, and surprisingly, this was the first I had heard about many parts of their way to yay, so I hope you enjoyed discovering what lies beneath their beautiful products as much as I did. As for us, the relief run is taking place this weekend, January 18th and 19th, and we have Seize the A runs in Melbourne, with other community runs popping up all over the world. I'll put all the links in the episode notes for you. Would love to see some of you there. Also, the quote of the day flipbooks are now back on pre-sale due to popular demand, so I'll pop that link up too. Hope you're all seizing your yay.